because right now the instruction in the classroom level, while it's excellent instruction, is not always geared around really wrestling with the mathematics. Mm-hmm. So I know that they need to do that. I give them problems or we work through many units you guys would do, or even a Dan Meyer three act task. And that's great. And I can assess that and it helps them, but it doesn't then show. In this episode, we speak with Kyle Greenolt, 15 year teaching veteran from Pennsylvania about the common struggle educators face when designing and facilitating math intervention classes to help students who have had ongoing struggles with math. Kyle is in a tug of war with two competing ideas in his mind and his heart. He knows and wants to teach his students using problem-based lessons, utilizing strategies and models, while at the same time, he knows his students need more individualized support. In this episode, we help Kyle realize that one-size-fits-all strategy may not be appropriate for his classroom and that sometimes a problem-based lesson is not always the most effective approach for his intervention class. Well, math moment makers, let's do this. Welcome to the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. I'm Kyle Pierce. And I'm John Orr. We are two math teachers from MakeMathMoments.com who together with you, the community of math moment makers worldwide, who want to build and deliver problem-based math lessons that spark curiosity, fuel sense-making, and ignite your teacher moves. Welcome, my friends, to Mm -hmm. another Math Mentoring Moment episode where actually, John, I just said it's all about designing problem-based math lessons, but tonight we're going to be chatting with a member of the Math Mentoring Moment community. We're going to chat about whether the problem-based approach is always the way to go or Mm -hmm. maybe if there's some situations where other approaches might be the way Go. Yeah, and this is the second mentoring moment in a row where we talk with an interventionist teacher and talk about kind of how we help students who are in these classrooms where they're teaching, taking two math classes a day, one in the intervention class and then in their regular math class and kind of going between the two. So we talk about strategies here in this episode and we can't wait to share them with you. All right, my friends, let's dig in. And here is Kyle. Hey there, Kyle. Thanks for joining us here on the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm really excited to be on the podcast tonight. Awesome. 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 Well, listen, you already have a huge fan because guess what? You've got a pretty awesome name. We want to know where are you coming to us from? And tell us a little bit about your backstory. What got you into education and what's your current role? So my name is Kyle Greenhold. I'm coming to you from York, Pennsylvania. Just a small town in the central Pennsylvania. What really led me to teaching was I kind of backed into it. I originally went to school to be a veterinarian, um, but I actually just listened to your growth mindset episode today. Mm, You guys hit a wall when you went to college. I hit the wall too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I never studied, never did really all that kind of stuff through high school. And then college hit me. So then once I got out of that, I realized I wanted to work with kids. I wanted to be in education. And after a couple switches, finally decided on math because it was something I was quote unquote good at. 
So mm. that's kind of what led me to becoming a math teacher. Awesome. Yeah. So I've been teaching for 16 years now. And I've kind of bounced around between public and charter schools and also inner city urban schools and suburban schools. So, and right now I teach. Good range there you got going on. (laughs) Yeah, it's been, and I've taught everywhere from seventh grade through 12th grade. And I've even taught remedial courses at the college level as well. Interesting. Kind of doing it all. (laughs) Yeah, you've got a full gambit of experience there spanning such a wide variety. What's your favorite grade? To teach seven through twelve. Didn't prepare for this one. Ooh, I didn't. Uh, no, I didn't. This is just off the cuff. Yeah, off the cuff. So I'm actually now that my new role, I'm able to work with sixth grade, and that's actually starting to turn out to be my more fun because mm. I'm starting to learn how to mm. do that because it's not something I've done in sixteen years. So right now it's sixth grade because it's a challenge for me. Nice. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah it I does. love it. I'll tell you, sixth grade. Well, and I'll actually back up to you and say even. In fourth and fifth grade, when you start entering, doing the switch from that additive thinking to multiplicative thinking, and you're really entering into ratios, rates, proportional relationships, that's sixth grade in the common core anyway, is where that sort of explodes, right? And there's tons of fun or torture, depending on what side of the coin you're on, that can be. And I know for me, I look at it, I'm like, my most favorite math to teach now is in that grade level for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I was just looking today at how to teach decimals more conceptually mm. because as I know it, it's line up the decimal point add or count how many, de- you know, so I'm trying to learn it anew, which is really fun. I love it. Uh, the moment that I made a connection and I think it was through that book I always talk about, which is the Vanderwall book about elementary and middle school mathematics teaching conceptually or sorry, developmentally. I'm looking at it over here on a shelf and in that book, I'm pretty sure it's in there where I finally made the connection that I'm like, wow, decimals are just a very limited set of fractions I can play with. And I'm like, mm-hmm. huh. when you think of the tenths column, it's like I can only have tenths or hundredths or thousandths. Like there's so many other fraction options. And right. that's what you're restricted to. And I'm like, wow, I never thought of it the same way again. And it really led me to kind of learn more about fractions. So just a thought as you Mm -hmm. explore down that path, there's so much to be learned thinking about it from a fraction perspective and limited fraction perspective Mm -hmm. instead of decimals as you and I remember it from our own experience. Right. Thank you. Kyle, something we got to ask every guest is about your math moment. So stretch back. Think about your experiences as a student when you were younger. When we say math class, something usually sticks with people. (laughs) Something usually pops in their mind of this vivid memory of math class. Fill us in on yours. Mine was probably ninth grade algebra, working with the TI-84 calculators that (laughs) could hook up to the motion sensors. And I just remember my CBR Rangers. Yeah. And I remember my teacher making us walk away from the CBR the and then towards the CBR and then seeing what that did on my calculator and then just having it make sense of with a negative slope, I was walking towards. It was just something I can remember from those times. I love it. I love it. I used to do those activities with students too. First mm-hmm, of all, mm-hmm. it was the activity. If you were getting evaluated, I was yeah, like, oh yeah, it's got to be this one. Because I'm like, this is the only time in my school year that I will have the kids up and doing something <laughs> active at that time. 
back when we were using the Rangers. Now it's a, a very different experience, but I do remember that. And I was looking forward to that lesson and kids really enjoyed it. And honestly, though, you think about the connections that students are able to make, right? When you see the behavior of the graph, it's like, wow, it really comes to life. So that's a pretty cool math moment that you took mm-hmm. away there. I'm wondering- a lot of memories there. So how does that impact? We always like to know, does that have an influence or an impact on your teaching style, do you think? Is that something that you explicitly sort of remember and thought of and made connections? Or is it maybe just a memory that you're thinking of now that you're on the podcast? Has it had that influence or was it something that maybe just kind of snuck in there along the way? Right. It stuck with you for a reason. Mm -hmm. I mean, with traditional learning, it was one of the few times we weren't in a row, like in a seat. Yeah. We are mm-hmm. actually up doing something. And it also was like a little experimental and we got to do it on our own. So that kind of stuff really stuck with me, the experimental doing something mm. and then seeing it happen in math terms really stuck with me. Well, we talk about those moments, eh, John, like the power of moments and they talk about the ending, the breaking the beginning the of something yeah. or breaking a script. And yeah. that's exactly it. What I heard you just say there, Kyle, is like kind of stands out because it was like there was all these other days that kind of feel the same. And then all of a sudden there's this different day and it stands out. And it's hard to do that all the time in a math class. But every now and again, if you can come up with something like that, that will kind of break that script a little bit. It's definitely something that'll help students kind of remember that experience a little bit. So super, super cool. So I'm wondering, is that something that you're doing in your teaching? Or is that something you're conscious of when you're trying to plan your lessons? Or are you on a different path? What does that look like or sound like? So this year is actually brand new for me because, and this is the reason I kind of reached out to you, I'm entering a new role. I've kind of left being the regular classroom teacher. And now for my new district, I'm a math specialist slash math interventionist. Mm. So I'm no longer really in front of the classroom teaching a full load of classrooms. I'm supporting Mm -hmm. classroom teachers now. So I have a little bit different of a role and it's always looking at how do I teach different? How do I present them something differently? So that's always the lens I'm looking at things from now. Got it. Got it. So fill us in a little bit. You're right. This was the reason you reached out to us kind of thinking about this intervention class or the series of intervention classes you have currently. What's the big struggle right now for you with those classes? So the classes right now, it's a supplemental class for about 30 kids per grade. So total of 90 kids in the grade or in the school. And they come to the intervention support class for 45 minutes a day, every day. And my role, as I see it, is we're a very data-driven school. So my role is to increase scores. We use IXL. Are you familiar with the IXL program and their diagnostics? So we're a big proponent of IXL. So the students I'm working with are generally two, three to four grade levels behind. And I'm working with them to try to boost skills, essentially, to get them caught up. Hey, Math Moment Makers, Kyle here. And I've got just a quick message specifically for our district-level mathematics decision-makers out there. Do you feel like you're spinning your wheels when making district-level goals for mathematics programming from kindergarten through grade 12? 
setting new goals each year only to find little to no real shift in pedagogical practice or educator content knowledge across the district as a whole? Take a moment to book a short call with our team so we can learn more about your specific district and educator learning needs in mathematics so we can assist you in taking the first step of many in the right direction. Visit makemathmoments.com forward slash district to book a web call with our team today. We have a limited number of spots for districts just like yours, so don't wait. Head to makemathmoments.com forward slash district and grab a spot in our calendar now. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm wondering, so that definitely kind of aligns with when people hear about that intervention sort of specialist or teacher who's working with these students. So typically, yeah, they're definitely going to be behind. You're probably getting the most, the students who need that support the most, right? So you're not talking about just a student who's just below, just missing a few things. Like you're talking where you've got some students that maybe fell off that math bus at some point. And my wonder is, this is kind of a wonder before we dig into what that looks like and sounds like in your class. I'm wondering, is this the first year that they would have had an opportunity for an intervention style course, or is there any earlier preventative or we'll call it proactive measures, or this is kind of a reactive measure, right? When students fall behind, we go, "Uh uh-oh, we're in bad shape here, so we're going to do this intervention. What might that look like or sound like for these students? Have they been involved in this sort of experience or is this the first time? Is this an experiment for the district? Give us a little context there. Right. So this is actually the first year this program has even existed in the middle school. So I'm kind of creating the program as we go. Lucky you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Challenging stuff. Yeah. And I'm brand new to the district too. So I don't have a deep breadth of knowledge of what happens in the elementary school, I know they use, are you familiar with spring math? Actually, yes, I did see, I was on a call with them not long ago, learning a little bit about it. I'm going to look it up to, cause I'm trying to remember the researcher behind it. Now, my question for you is, are you familiar with it? And what are your thoughts on it? So I'm familiar with it in enough that I can run it because it is very scripted for you, but I understand the philosophy. It's doing your basic facts, but thinking about them not as basic facts. So if you're doing double-digit subtraction, using different techniques other than the standard algorithm to get that answer, and learning how to do that fluently and quickly. So I'm familiar with spring math, and that will identify students for individual intervention, which they may have gotten at the elementary classroom or at the elementary level, but it's never been a standalone class. Got it. Got it. That's interesting. Yeah, I just double checked in it. I was on a call there with Amanda Vander Hayden, which is uh, one of the researchers involved there. So yeah, very interesting program there. And I took a bit of a deep dive in there. I was very curious about it. So awesome. So they've had not an actual intervention course, but they've had some sort of We'll call it like an intervention uh, tool to be leveraged inside the classroom. Let's take us uh, on a dive into your classroom. What are the makeups of your class is look like? Uh, Class size, grade level, sort of span-ish that students are in. And give us kind of an overview here. So each 
grade level has two periods. So I would see two periods of sixth grade, two periods of seventh grade, two periods of eighth grade, each with about 10 to 15 students in the classroom. Got it. So paint us a picture of what it looks like in, say, one of those grades for you. So in like a sixth grade classroom, initially I fell back onto just my being a teacher for 15 years and doing what I did in the classroom and teaching mini lessons and giving them problems even off of your website to let them wrestle with the mathematics. Because I know that's deeply what they need to do. Because right now, the instruction in the classroom level, while it's excellent instruction, is not always geared around really wrestling with the mathematics. Hmm. Mm -hmm. So I know that they need to do that. I give them problems or we work through many units you guys would do or even a Dan Meyer three-act task. And that's great. And I can assess that and it helps them, but it doesn't then show on their scores, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Right, right. Love it. Love it. Yeah, that does make sense. So is the struggle here that you're trying these? Because I think you said that you started that way, but is that what you're doing now? And then is that the struggle you're having is trying to grapple with this? Like, I want to do this, but I am not doing this now. Yeah, it's the balance of it. And I'm also being pulled in a quite a few different directions. So I don't mm-hmm. always have the time that I need to devote to doing that as well. Right, right. And I want to just kind of reiterate something I heard you say earlier, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you were saying that typically you're looking at students who are two to four grade levels behind, right? So you've got a, a vast wide range, right? So if you're working with the grade six group, you might be working with students that are at a grade two level, which is going to be more in like that additive thinking world. And then you might be working with some grade fours who were trying to push into this multiplicative world. And that obviously is going to pose a challenge. Now, mind you, these are the same challenges you have in a typical classroom, Mm -hmm. in a standard grade level classroom, but maybe not as dramatic. Right. right. So now you triple your number of students, but maybe you half the range of the average student, but there's still those students in your classroom. They just might not have been the squeaky wheel, right? You didn't notice it as well because they got maybe drowned out in the rest of the students. You look around the room, there's enough kids nodding. Yep. I'm with you that you're like, all right. But there was still that five or six kids that were probably in the same boat that were struggling. They just may not have maybe gained our attention or got us kind of thinking about that. So you're in this place. You've got some students. I got a funny feeling. You didn't mention this yet, but I I have a funny feeling if I had to take a guess that your students aren't exactly the most excited to come into a intervention math class. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong. What what would you say the mindset? Yeah, yeah, typically, uh, no, they're not thrilled about being in an extra math class. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Oh, so this is layered on top as well. This is like one of those intervention, right? This is like, I've got my class and I'm now over here. Yeah. I think we just talked with Laura Campion on this. I think it was the same idea, but this is an interesting dynamic that students now have this double period of math and with this idea that we're going to strengthen them here so they can go back to the classroom and maybe like catch up right catch up yeah so Kyle you've got this kind of dynamic that you're kind of battling the balance here what have you done so far to mitigate or to bring balance into this situation so really I'm kind of going back and forth between days of wrestling with problems, doing open middle type problems, and then working on just the computer skill, the computer to boost their IXL scores on mm-hmm. the IXL program. Awesome. Got I'm it. wondering, I want to 
dig a little deeper here too with that. So let's say you're in your class, some students are working on IXL. Is there any opportunities for pulling a small group or working? Are you just kind of popping around? Sometimes it's like desk to desk type thing, or is there like an intentional, hey, I'm going to call, you know, these three students. Hey, come on and meet me. Is there any of that going on or a structure kind of that you're playing with to try to get that into the classroom at all? Yeah, absolutely. I usually group based on skill level in that class because then I can hit a general topic with a small group. So I'm doing small group instruction with some on topics I know that they need, especially for the course, while others are working on other topics at their own pace. Yeah. Very cool. Tell us also, because you were saying sometimes you're doing more like open-ended, you had mentioned more like problem-based things like tasks. What does that look like, sound like? Are you feeling like that is having a positive effect? Are you hitting a roadblock there? Are students kind of throwing their arms up and saying like, I don't know what to do? Give us a visual or a little bit of an insight as to what that looks like. So the reason I really like doing it is because it forces them to talk and I can actually hear their thinking, which is what I really, because then also it lets me know a lot more of their misconceptions. Mm -hmm. So it lets me hit those a lot faster. So I really like listening to them. And it's often, I tell them, guys, I don't really care about the answer at this point. I want to know just what are you thinking? How are you thinking about attacking this problem? And that's really what I want to focus on because I know their number sense already isn't that great. So they're going to make mistakes on that. So I want to know what they're thinking, that type of stuff when I'm doing these problems. Good. Yeah, that's great. We've always said those types of tasks, these open or these problem-based lesson tasks are a goldmine for formative assessment and understanding what your students know or don't know just by, like you said, listening to them, listening to them. You can learn so much information about the strategies that students are using or not using in such a wealth of information that normally you wouldn't get if you just kind of launched into the here's how you do a problem. So I'm thinking about some of the times that I use those types of problems as well. And I use them for the same purpose you just quoted, which is discussion, discourse, defending ideas, reasoning, proving, getting all these great kind of skills that we want in our classroom. My question here is once that kind of learning has come out, or like you said, you're not caring about the answer, but when those answers come and maybe you've coached along the way in that in those lessons, what does that moment at the end, you've got students who've got solutions, what does that look like in your class right now? Usually we talk about how they modeled it or how they got it, and they get to talk to the class about their reasoning and that type of thing. So we really do break it down and talk about it after we get solutions and we get that kind of thing. Got it. I think when Kyle and I remember, Kyle, when we chatted about this years ago about getting this engagement that we really were after. And then we also realized that what we thought was going to translate into results, that I had so much engagement, engagement automatically would mean better results on the tests or the quizzes, or they go back to their classes and all of a sudden they're having that success or the standardized tests. I remember we did this and then all of a sudden the standardized tests were not better. They were worse. And I think we put our heads together after that and said kind of what was happening here. And I think what was happening for us was the connecting the dots or or making something very intentional of what we wanted to pull out that day and telling the students, this is what we're going to do. I'm wondering when you're ending those lessons, is it like you're tying a big bow on it? 
Or is it like, okay, we got some great work here. Now let's go and practice. Or what intentionality or have you thought about that, that intentionality at the end of those lessons? Because I think that can help a lot of really kind of steering the kids to go, look at the end of today, we did this. This is what we want to do on a regular basis in this situation. A lot of it, yeah. First, if it's just showing them that they have the growth mindset, that they can work through these problems, they can struggle and get to an answer. And then usually at the end, Without giving them an algorithm, I try to give them a model or another more formal way of solving their problems, especially for the students who weren't able to get to the solution so that they can see another way that they can do it, too. Mm-hmm. So that's how we really tie a bow on it at the end as well. I like it. I like it. So I'm kind of envisioning it's kind of like the nice opportunity for some students to do some problem solving, to maybe gain some confidence, to also model thinking. I liked how you explicitly said allowing them to share how they modeled, whether they use the model as a tool to help them find the answer, or if it's a model just to try to convince other people of their answer. That's a really important piece. I'm wondering when we kind of go from that problem-based lesson. So if let's say, or, and I should ask maybe how often are you trying to integrate a, a lesson like that? Is that something you're trying to do a couple times a week? Is it a once a week thing? And then I guess, The other parts of the time is that when they're working on like the IXL and maybe that smaller group, more intentional, individualized kind of work. What does that look like? And are they connected? I think is maybe my wonder as well. When I do this lesson, is this lesson something that I'm going to then build off of for everyone? Like I'm going to give John some problems kind of connected. If it was a lesson involving percentages and we were solving it on a double number line, When we do some work, even if it's a little more individualized for the students in the room, is it going to be connected to percentages or will it be something like I'm at this level in IXL, so I'm going off into that world and it's not connected to the problem-based lesson? What does that look like? So usually the problem-based lesson is one or two times a week. So it's certainly not our whole week. And then one or two times we will also break apart and do small individual learning based on the problem that we worked on in class or also what they're doing in their core class so that they're ready. And then also there will be times where they're working on their own on their recommended IXL skills to help boost that score as well. All right. Now I'm wondering, I'm going to go and I'm going to pull out our magic wand question for you. (laughs) So you've shared like we're getting a good visual. It's still like only a snapshot. And This is one of the challenges, hopping on and just chatting for a few minutes. But even when I go into a classroom and it's, I always say to the teacher after, I'm like, so I saw one class out of 190 classes that you do a year, 180 classes you do a year. This is just one snapshot here. We have even less of a snapshot because it's all just verbal and kind of being described. What specifically would you like, if we could wave that magic wand and (laughs) something was to change, what's that thing that you're really, so we're basically like, what's that real pebble that if you could shake it out now, it would just disappear and things would be a whole lot better than they are right now? Just how can we really use the problem-based learning and show that? on the IXL. I need to be able to make the scores go up without just focusing on a computer skill. That's really Mm -hmm. the pebble in my (laughs) score. That is it. Mm -hmm. Got it. Got it. And what do you think right now is holding you back from that? 
probably the time because I know I only have them for half a year and then they're going to leave that class and go to, and a whole nother group is going to come in. So it's that whole time element that I know I can't give them the time to fully wrestle like they need to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm wondering here, and we had a similar conversation the other day. This episode should be out before our current one we're recording here goes live. So that'll be interesting for you to listen to that one as well with, I think it was Laura, right, John, you had yeah, mentioned, yeah. I think it was Laura we were mm -hmm. chatting with mm -hmm. and I was in a similar situation. And I guess it's a wonder, and I don't know if you've grappled with this or not, but I know that I'm envisioning myself just like you, not only do we have the same name, but I'm picturing <laughs> me being in the same shoes as you when I was working with some students struggling in a course that was essentially in our area. We call it, it's a locally developed course. These are students who have struggled typically, and now they are in sort of a course where a lot of students are behind. And I was really trying to drive home this problem-based approach, but I also wanted this other thing, which, and I know that they can work together, but we're in a very unique scenario where these students, no matter what all the teachers tried previously, and this for me was grade nine students, so you're six, seven, eight, so you're not that far off, but no matter what all those other teachers had tried in the past, these students still kind of fell off that math wagon some way, somehow. Maybe it was due to an LD or another designation. Maybe it was absenteeism. Maybe it could be so many other things. And my wonder to you is, I'm wondering if maybe are we trying to bite off almost like too much for a group of students that have traditionally struggled to sort of stay on grade level. And what I mean by that, to be super explicit, is you've got this amazing goal of, I want students to see problem solving can be satisfying and you have it in you to put effort and commitment, determination, and that stick to itness. I want you to have all these things. I also want you to develop these skills that you've struggled to sort of develop over time. And you only have them for this small amount of time. And I wonder, is it possible that maybe we're trying to take too much on? Maybe it's a one or the other. Maybe it's like a more one than the other. It doesn't have to be completely gone. But how does that hit with you? Do you ever feel like you're putting in all this effort here? And it sounds like what I heard is I'm putting all this effort in these problem-based lessons. I'm putting all this effort on this other side, but it seems like they're not fitting together. You're putting the effort in there, but you're not seeing the fruit of your labor coming through. Would that be an accurate sort of way to describe that? That's pretty much dead on. Yeah. It's trying to do too much, I think. Hmm. And I wonder about that. And I don't want to tell you what I might start with, but I kind of want it. <laughs> I kind of want to say that, That's why you know, here. in, in my <laughs> mind, it's like, I even wonder if it was just even for a little while and you were to like go, hmm, what are the things that are important about a problem-based lesson, right? And there's a lot of things. There's a ton. But like some of the things that are important to me is context, giving kids context. I'm like, hmm, can I bring context into those small groups? Imagine if, let's say, I dedicated every day to crafting stations or some call them centers where it's like, I've got these things going on where maybe this group of students is working on some IXL and then they rotate after 20 minutes 
to sit with you and you've got this activity that involves context promotes like it can still be a problem right it doesn't have to be naked math facts it could be you now sitting in this small group working with the problem but it may not have a notice and wonder it may not have some of these other things just so that now they can kind of dig in and use that model emerge those strategies right and you could be there to kind of question based on what you're seeing and then when they're done with you there for those 20 minutes move along I can't recall if you mentioned how long your periods are. So you'd obviously have to structure it to work within your class length. And then they move on to this next activity, which might be like an extension of some of the work that you're doing, or maybe it's purposeful practice from something they did a couple weeks prior. So it's not new content where they get hung up, but something to kind of revisit something that they had done in the past. And I wondered if, if you maybe experimented with that, even if it was for a week or so, just to see if like you notice some of that benefit happening. And that doesn't mean that you have to stay like that forever, but it's just to get you some traction. You know what I mean? So you feel yeah. like this effort you're putting in there, it's going somewhere. You're not just putting all this energy in and it's just fading away and it's fizzling away. It's like you're seeing some result there. There's a cause and effect to the, some of the work you're doing. How does that make you feel like when I say that? Is that a relief to you? Does it make you sad? You're like, oh, I wanted this to work in a certain way. Where's your head at when you hear something like that? I mean, ultimately, my head is just do whatever is best for my students. So that I think would definitely be a way to go about or try it to maybe get the best of all the worlds that I'm looking for, or at least a little bit of all the worlds that I'm looking for. Mm, I love it. Would you say like if you went into doing this this coming week or getting ready for it to do next week, what do you see to be a hiccup or a stumbling block or a barrier at this point that you could say remove? Well, right now it's just giving me more ideas. So it's the barrier of not having an idea of what to do is just that idea of the stations and rotate through really, really helps. Hmm. Interesting. And I wonder, do you have like a resource? So you have the IXL, which could be a part of that work, right? So it's something that, you know, it's like, hey, that's easy enough, right? Because it kind of takes care of itself in a way you have to manage it on the back end, of course. But what about, let's say what the students over there might be doing? I'm picturing three stations, but it could be four, it could be whatever you choose. You have 10 students. So really you could have three groups of three and a four in one of them type thing. So you could have these three stations. Do you have another resource that would be something that might be easy enough to have out there, but still meaningful so that it's connected to the work that students are doing? Or is this going to keep you up all night long, having to try to like plan and cut things out or whatever those activities look like? Hey there, Math Moment Makers. Are you a dedicated listener? Like, I'm talking, have you been listening for a couple of months, maybe even a couple of years? Well, if you haven't taken a moment to leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform, it would mean so much to us. It'll take you under one minute uh, so that you can help more educators see and experience the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. Uh, do us this huge solid. Uh, we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And uh, here is today's episode.
that would certainly be more of the prep for me, finding those extension activities, because there's not really a resource that we have just ready to use. Got it. Got it. Yeah. I'm even thinking too, it could be something as, I say simple, it still has to find them. I would encourage finding, not making, by the way, but finding, let's say, maybe that station might be more like some games. Let's say maybe it's twice a week. It's like games that work on fact fluency, or it could even be something related to skip counting or something where it's, again, it's something that doesn't require you to be right there with them, but something that's going to be manageable for them. And then, of course, maybe on some of the days, there's something more practice-based that might be, hey, in your team here, you have to quiz each other on who has type activity going on or whatever that structure might look like. And you might be able to just pull some regular old problems out of a textbook or whatever you have laying around and just kind of leverage a structure that you teach the students the structure and then leave the instructions on the table type thing. So there'd be a little bit of prep there, but I just wonder in terms of you being able to maximize your time to spend in these small groups that are really intentional based on where students are. And again, still leverage the questioning techniques that you would in a problem-based lesson. But once again, being able to be really intentional there. And there's something that I think I know I missed in certain classes that I taught that weren't exactly like the intervention style you have, but similar sort of characteristics is that when John and I are sharing things like problem-based lessons, we're typically referencing your tier one classroom. It's the lesson. It's a typical classroom that students are in. And you're in this tier two, maybe even tier three world where we're talking about a deeper intervention. We're really trying to get at helping these students. And I think the more time that you have to spend with them in a smaller group, because I'm trying to remember the book, but they say it's like as soon as it's more than five or six people in a room and you're talking, everyone assumes you're not talking to them, right? And this is for adults or students. The bigger the group becomes, the less you think the person's talking to you. But when you're in that small group of three and you're there and you're looking them all in the eye and this is for you, this is not for the other students, you might be able to get a little bit more leverage, even though it might not seem as memorable as maybe a math moments problem-based lesson we might do with a typical tier one classroom. That's really helpful. Thank you so much. <laughs> Kyle, what would you say is going to be your, say, biggest takeaway from the conversation and what you might put into action? I think certainly the stations and the grouping and the different activities that we could do in the stations, especially like the ideas of playing games to work on skills and things like that. While and then having just five of them to really give a concrete lesson and talking with them, that really helps. I love it. I love it. Chunking it into small pieces, I think will go a long way. I have a funny feeling that some of the students in your class might have short attention spans, right? I think all humans have shorter attention spans now, but you also notice some of those students who tend to require a little more support are easy to be distracted. So hopefully this gives you maybe something to try. Uh, of course, there's never a guarantee, but uh, what we would love to know though is how things are going. So when you put this into action, let us know, stay in touch. We'd love to have you back on. 
maybe six, nine months down the road and see where you're at, where your head's at. Maybe you tried that and it works and it's great. Or maybe you try it and you're like, you know, this wasn't working, but now I'm doing this other thing. And you might be able to bring that back to the audience so that the Math Moment Maker community can learn from that experience. So would that be something you'd be open to if we were to reach out maybe six to nine months from now? Absolutely. Awesome stuff. Awesome stuff. Thanks, Kyle. And we wish you all the best coming to this current week and also all the other weeks. Thank you. Well, as always, my friends, both John and I learned so much from engaging in these conversations. It really gets us thinking and reflecting on some of the ideas, some of the thoughts, some of the wonders, some of the structures that we often take for granted. And lately, we've had some conversations with math moment makers like you who aren't in a typical classroom, like in a tier one classroom. And that's really had us thinking. And it starts to make you wonder, hmm, I wonder if people listening to the podcast always understand the context in which we are sharing our mm, ideas. Yeah. So hopefully tonight, I know for me, something I learned through this experience is that, John, you and I, I think, have to do our best and maybe do better at trying to be as clear as possible in the situations, the conditions that take place when we're sharing some of our thinking, because there's something that you and I tried for a really long time, and that is problem-based lessons. And we are wholehearted believers in the problem-based lesson. But maybe things look a little different if there's some students who are not getting to where we'd like to see them get to. Maybe we've got to change it up a little bit. And hopefully that's that message that Kyle has taken away here in this conversation tonight. Yeah. And a great way you can hold yourself accountable. And when you take away some of the ideas, maybe you have the same ideas Kyle just mentioned, maybe you're kind of reflecting in a different way, but a great way you can hold yourself accountable on these ideas is you can jump into the free private Facebook group we have over on Facebook at Math Moment Makers, or hey, connect with us at Make Math Moments on social media like Twitter or Instagram. Message us. Let us know what you're thinking and just the fact that you're writing your ideas down, let them sink in deeper. Mm -hmm. So make sure that you're reflecting so that you can get as much out of this as you're supposed to. I love it. One of my favorite ways for you to reflect and also to get us some feedback is by leaving a rating and review over on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you are on. We receive a weekly email that gives us a summary of that feedback. And my friends, this past week, we only received one, one review. Are you going to make it at least two or three, or maybe it's 10? There's a lot of you listening out there. We'd love to hear from you. So go ahead leave a rating and a review. And remember, you are helping to grow the audience of Math Moment Makers because you're telling the intrawebs to share the podcast with more educators mm. from around the world. So thank you in advance for that. And this episode was a Math Mentoring Moment episode. These episodes only exist uh, because of folks like Kyle, like Laura, a couple episodes ago, who reach out to us and ask us to kind of brainstorm what's on their mind, what's a pebble in their shoe that we can kind of knock loose. These episodes only exist because of folks like them. They're brave. They step forward and say, hey, can I chat with you guys? We want to do that with you as well. And we wanted to knock that pebble that you have that's keeping you up at night out of your shoe. So you can do that. All you have to do is kind of message us. Head to makemathmoments.com forward slash mentor. Little form there. Click a button and let us know your pebble 
and then we'll chat just like we did with Kyle here and we did with Laura a couple episodes ago. Please, we want to chat. MakeMathWellness.com forward slash mentor. Fill that form out. Fantastic, friends. And over on the MakeMathMoments.com website, we've got all those show notes, links, resources, complete transcripts. And for our district leaders out there, you can hit our district leader page, which is all about the Make Math Moments District Improvement Program, where we have conversations kind of like the one we just did with Kyle, except we flip the script a little bit and we chat about your district and your district goals. So looking forward to chatting with you soon on an upcoming call for the District Improvement Program. Well, until next time, Math Moment Maker friends, my name is Kyle Pierce. And I'm John Orr. And I'm going to give you high fives for us. And I'm going to give you a high five for you. If you are a district leader of mathematics, a math coach, a math curriculum coordinator, a superintendent and principal, getting teacher buy-in for effective math teaching practice is top of mind. And plans only go so far. You can make you know detailed plans and, and carefully designed goals with clear objectives and key results that are measurable. But that can feel like it all falls flat if we can't engage our teachers in the work. Working with teachers who do not want to change their teaching practices is one of the most frustrating and challenging parts of our job. How do I help teachers engage in effective teaching practices when they keep pushing us away? If you can't reach the tipping point in mass adoption of effective mathematics teaching strategies, then it's it's likely we won't see student improvement in mathematics. We have a free training uh, an accompanying workbook for leaders of mathematics like you. Uh, the, math, the Make Math Moments team, myself, John, and Kyle, walk you through our four-stage process uh, we use with district partners to create clear, measurable, sustainable PD action plans, but more specifically on how to also get teacher buy-in so that it drives student engagement. So step one, register for this free training, get your planning workbook, um, and then watch the training. Schedule some time on your calendar so you can watch it and go through the workbook. After completing that workbook, you're going to have a clear, measurable vision, action plan for mathematics to get more teacher buy-in, but also be able to hit your goals for the 2024-2025 school year. So head on over to makemathmoments.com forward slash four stages to start this free training.